0: There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good bad thing. What do you mean bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light.
1: Total protonic reversal. Right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. Welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast dedicated to finding the very best that movies have to offer. I'm your host Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Hello there. James, we have got an action-packed episode today. We've got two new films to talk about and the classic 1984 movie Ghostbusters. I mean,
0: where do you start with this show? I'm getting all sorts of treats in my head right now. (laughs) I like that. It's, it's um barely made sense. <laughs> if this is your first time, welcome. We
1: get around the mics each week to talk about a different movie, topic or theme within movies. So if you go for our catalog on any of the podcast apps, you'll find all sorts of episodes from director specials. Sometimes we look at a specific actor. Sometimes we take on a theme. A lot of the time, it's sort of nonsense. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. It's a free podcast at the end of the day.
0: It's two friends talking about films, hoping that you enjoy it. Get involved. Get on Twitter, get on Facebook, get on Instagram, get involved. I long, Yeah, James, you're on fire, mate. Mate, I'm with you. You you should host this podcast. All right. No. <laughs> Best friend at the beginning is bullshit, isn't it? It's the only person who you can free to record with me on Mondays. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: I'm busy every other night of the
0: week. I'm never busy.
1: <laughs> this is uh, Sorry you In My Seat. So if you do like this episode and if you subscribe, you will get a new uh, one in your inbox every Monday at 6am. You will, maybe. Maybe if the boys at Sorry You're In My Seat are feeling, you know, nice, you'll get a bonus episode. Nice segue. Ooh. Last week we dropped uh, two episodes, the Arnold Schwarzenegger special. So that was looking at if you were on a desert island and you could take with you only one Arnold Schwarzenegger movie to watch for the rest of the time, what would you pick?
0: And we were united, weren't we? It's very rare. It's very rare that you and I you, that you and I are united. But we picked a film that I think showcases the action, the drama, and the comedy values of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that film was, of course. Last Action action Hero.
1: Yeah, it had to have been. So many good ones to choose from, and it was a good episode to go through that filmography of everyone's favourite Austrian, Arnold Schwarzenegger. James, don't jump in there with any jokes. I'm not. I said Beethoven last week. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, towards the end of the week, we dropped a bonus episode looking at Zack Snyder's Justice League, which came in at an hour, a mere quarter the length of the film itself.
0: And that was actually pretty impressive. What I love about that as well, since we released it, everyone's jumped on the bandwagon, everyone's releasing episodes somehow before we released it. The
1: <laughs> I, I do like how some people on Twitter wrote underneath that status like, oh, did you get the exclusive scoop yes. after we made the joke that we were the only podcast talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League last week? Of course we weren't. The internet has gone crazy as the internet does. But uh, that's two episodes last week. There is over 139 for you to download plus these specials. I was trying to wrap my brains of other specials that we've done. And the only other one that came to memory was the Mel Gibson episode.
0: Yeah. Well, you were on your own there with you and Sam, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, but I don't know why now thinking about it, it was like, That'll make a worthy, uh, you know, bonus episode, Mel Gibson, because of that, he's hot at the moment. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we, we did. A, we, you know what, we did that quiz for Halloween. I did, I had great fun doing that. There are some great little quizzes that we drop in, little fun episodes that never as long, but come on, mate, this week Ghostbusters.
1: It is, it's Ghostbusters. To we have on. a bit of a penchant for the 80s. So when we do a, a classic movie... It tends to be where we gravitate to, that nostalgia, that retro feel that 80s movies does, uh, do have. And um, I don't know why it's taken us that long to do Ghostbusters, but I'm glad we are finally here.
0: This is on Netflix now.
1: <laughs> it is on Netflix now, yeah. Um, but we're also going to talk about The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank because you wouldn't believe it, it's awards season and there's a lot of buzz around these movies at the moment.
0: Yeah. And do you know what? Maybe, maybe they deserved. Maybe you'll find out in the next hour or so. Uh, Can't well, give away the goose just yet. <laughs> Our predictions are normally pretty on topic for, no, no. for this oh, podcast. No, yours are pretty well, on topic. Mine are well off. Do you remember when I had Adam Driver done as best actor? That turned out to be bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so buckle up.
1: This episode is going to be a bit of fun looking at free movies and uh, whatever general chit chat we come up with in between. James, starting off, how has your week been? Have you been up to much? Have you watched anything exciting? Do you know what?
0: I, I love reading. I'm a very I'm a, and we you and I talk about this quite often off air. We talk about the art behind a movie poster what makes it draws in and I've been recently bought a book online mm. ebook which I'm not a big fan of I like to feel the paper smell them book. pages I love the smell of paper I love the smell of new ink mm. and I've been reading a book about the history of the uh, the art uh, the Hammer horror posters yep. oh, and that was such a delightful read knowing mm. about the backstory how they evolved I'm, I'm a slut mm. for that sort of thing the knowledge is brilliant uh, it's been such fun watching the evolution of these posters they're iconic they're brilliant I think it's a uh, dying art form I love a good mm. movie poster, but nowadays the movie posters don't really excite me. I'm thinking about the classics as well, going, moving away from uh, the horror hammers. Alien, do you remember that? Just the word alien. Yeah. And an egg. Just and like an egg. Just like, that teased you. Mm. Like, what's got comedy?
1: Favourite movie poster?
0: Jaws <laughs> is iconic. Jaws is great. I might go for the Star Wars one though you know, with all the characters all facing off in like a pyramid. And he's yeah. got Darth Vader in the background and Luke Skywalker skybeaming. I know it's his lightsaber pointing up into the air. That is pretty cool.
1: But Luke Skywalker, like, hench, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Like, they often did that with uh, movies in, like, the 70s, 80s didn't they? Like, major lead star. Something that Chevy Chase and all the vacation movies really took the mick out of yes. later on. He was yeah. always ripped to hell with, like, his shirt <laughs> shredded. And it was like, it's Chevy Chase, you know. He's not That's like actually,
0: that. I forgot about it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I think it's something like, I think it's probably an iconic one like Alien. I do remember Ter- uh, Terminator because you see Arnie's face and you just see the red eye. Mm. That's pretty iconic, pretty badass. Love the RoboCop because you're getting out of a car. Never seen that before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But still badass. Well, Somehow. I suppose he's got to get out of the car he, hasn't he it, at some point. <laughs> he does. Um, more recent ones, probably Face Face Off because I remember thinking that film can't exist. Mm. <laughs> How was that? How was that a thing? And they mirror it. They show you two faces, <laughs> <laughs> foreshadowing, mate. <laughs> but also they they use
1: that poster as well for the Punisher. Did they? But it was Tom Jane instead of um, Nick Cage. But it still had oh. like the old. I still had the John Travolta kind of like split. That's brilliant. And then just a um, a uh, Punisher in the middle. But yeah, I remember the Punisher logo, the Punisher poster in the cinema way before yeah. I really was into comics. And obviously, this is way before the
0: MCU now. And being like, oh, that looks interesting, and uh, just being hooked after that. Really. Turned out to be good. And do you know, what also if, uh, this is a great talking point. has just come out for the Suicide Squad now. A few months ago, I was talking about. superhero Fatigue, Mm. Justice League, you know Zach Schneider one I've just seen. You know what? It it relighted the ignition. I'm feeling it again. Mm. Saw the trailer for Suicide Squad. Now, I love Idris Elba. I love Luther. Okay, Mm. but he picks crap films. How good is it to finally see him with with a director like James Gunn who needs seems to know how to use him because he Mm. comes across as so cool in that. A few weeks ago, we were talking about wrestlers and John Cena. I'm so looking forward to the Suicide Squad for those two people. And obviously, Margot Robbie cannot go wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of talking points there. It's- seen as getting a spin off, isn't he, of his character. Apparently. And also they've um unsexualized, is that the term for Harley Quinn? So they've taken her out of the the previous like hot pants look, Good. you know, and actually made it a functional costume for her to go to war in. Well, it makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. Um
0: Scott Peter body my favourite Doctor Who, and they're and they're having they're slagging him off. Brilliant. I yeah, love
1: that. He looks like, like the loose cannon of the team. Yeah.
0: And it, but it, it seems funny. It does, yeah. You have got so many characters
1: that look forward to being introduced to because, again, I say this every week when it comes to superhero uh, films, yeah, and I I don't know the canon, I don't know the backstories. I never, I didn't read them growing up, so I don't know Polka Dot Man, I don't know Weasel Two Shark King Shark. Do you know who voices King Shark? Uh, Sylvester, it's Sylvester Sloan. Yeah, which means that Taika Waititi's role is still not known, unknown, not meaning that he's probably the bad guy or or or, or a very quick cameo, I guess.
0: Yeah. I'm just so looking forward to it. I did. Is there going to be too many people in it? Probably. But do you know what? I'm really excited to see what he does with this. Well, yeah, the the tagline is don't get attached, isn't it? Meaning that that's the death count's cool. going to
1: be pretty high. I, I'm looking forward to it. Nathan Fillion as well, I think, is someone that I'm looking forward to. And in the second trailer, you see a little bit more Fillion. And oh, I like to film my boots on Fillion. I didn't see it. i didn't never seen Fillion. I was like, where is it? He? So he's, he's like, arms detached and stuff like that. Oh, I haven't seen that. Mm. Oh, that's devastating. I'm like, fuck, take it. King Shark, I think he's going to go down though, is, is like the fan favorite, isn't he? The boy, the one yeah. that everyone wants to spin off, origin story. Obviously. Obviously. It's, it's a shark. I want to see Jaws 4
0: remade with him in it. Yeah. I just want to, let's just forget Jaws 4. <laughs> let's just forget it. Even Michael Caine spent his years drinking trying to forget it.
1: He, Michael Caine said in an interview, he said, uh, I've never seen the movie, but I've seen the kitchen it made, it bought.
0: That's such a great quote. Yeah. As such a like he's like, I knew I signed on for shit, but I got paid. To
1: yeah. Deal with it. That's what that's easy at the end of the day. Anyway. Um, oh, sorry. Go no on. film posters though. Very, very interesting point. I think we should do a let's allocate a month. Maybe we're in April now. So should we say May? Every day on social media, we put up a film poster. Yeah. And try to get people involved. Because there are some iconic ones, aren't they? Horror is such a great genre to look at when it comes to the the movie poster. Because you get the propaganda, the build up, the you know, don't see this movie alone, you know, and all that kind of baiting people to oh, come yeah. watch it. Um mean- Saw was a big sorry, Saw was a big one. The big tagline on that was dear you see Saw. Was and it was just a foot. I remember that on a billboard, like going to going to college or whatever every day. This just foot. <laughs> <And it> said, <laughs> Everyone knows Saw. how you are well with
0: feet. So. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> Yeah, moth- but like moth- a <laughs> severed <seven laughs> foot. Well, <laughs> You know, you it do, looks you do. it. I, was like, I know that for. <laughs> I didn't, do you know what? I've just realised there was a. Uh, did you have film posters on your wall as well? Uh, I never did. No, oh, a lot of music posters. I I had film posters because I remember going to the corner shop and every time I did a rental and every time it wasn't new, I was like, oh, I'll have that poster. Put your name on the back of it. And I remember I had Rocky. Mm. I think I think actually that might be my favourite one. Rocky, at the top of the stairs. Top of the stairs, not looking at the camera. Yeah. Looking away with his arms in the air. And I was just thinking. Woke up every morning when I'm going to do. I'm going to be Rocky, and I just used to sit there, Top of ice cream. That's car by mate. Mm. Get, get ready. Get <laughs> ready for diabetes. That's what happened in that movie, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the Ormond fight. I think I... Didn't I get you the American Psycho poster once for Christmas?
0: Was that you? I really was, I yeah. did have an American Psycho poster. Mm. You're welcome. Oh, thanks, mate. It's all right. With the book one? Yeah. Yeah, Sam told me he bought me that. Because <laughs> no. I've still got that. The Brett Ellis book, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. yeah. Brett Easton Ellis. Yeah, that's it. Mate. Uh
1: Blade Runner, great poster. Love, I oh, love that one as well. God, um, oh, I'm just going to sit here now all day thinking about oh, posters. I'm sorry. I, I, I'll send you the link for the book and because the book's really cool. Actually, what a brilliant segue, James. Thank. This is because I'm going to address it now. I was talk, I was thinking of Ghostbusters earlier, and I was thinking, what is the only criticism of Ghostbusters? Because I, I love the movie. I'm looking forward to talking about it but it is stained in cinema history as having one of the key members of the Ghostbusters not on the poster. And I know that that, you know, is, is something that's incredibly relevant now, you know, and in, in, in something that is, is more openly talked about, but then keeping um, Ernie Hudson off the poster of the Ghostbusters movie when it came out. Oh, yeah. And- that to you know does tarnish an otherwise brilliant movie from the '80s because he has every goddamn right to be on that poster because he is the most relatable character in that film. Which we're going to isn't he? He's yeah. the blue collar working man in that movie that you're supposed to join. You know, a, you know, along with for the ride and. It's, always, it's criminal that he's not. And actually, I commented on this a poster recently. I did this on Twitter recently that someone put that online and it's like, greatest movie poster ever. And I was like, it would be if it was complete. And it, and I was quite pleased at how many people backed me on it actually saying, yeah, you're right. This, you know, Ernie Hudson should have been on that poster. Uh,
0: do you think that's because uh, originally the part was supposed to go to Eddie Murphy and be- as Eddie Murphy didn't sign on, they greatly reduced the role, hence why uh, the character of uh, Winston isn't in it as much. Therefore, they didn't put him on a poster.
1: I've, yeah, I I mean, it could be. And I'm certain the studio is wants that, people that's, to that's believe what that's, that's what like, it is. When but go, yeah,
0: but yeah, yeah. we've
1: seen the movie posters that are released, you know, in, in certain markets and and you well, know, I, I think it's a, it's a rabbit hole that we could go down. But ultimately to me, it should have been restored and it should now be the one that people go to is is the four of them on that that movie poster. Um, We're jumping ahead of ourselves. So I want to save the Ghostbusters talk for just a little bit longer. This week, I've had a pretty good week and I watched a movie called Run, which is just out on Netflix. Ooh. Do you know this film? Have you seen it? I've seen it on Facebook when a certain Mister Hall posted. Oh, that was me then, was it? it? Yeah, I'm not going to talk about it in great detail, other than say that it is out now on Netflix. It is a 2020 movie. Um, weirdly enough, on IMDb it's rated as a PG-13, but it, that cannot be right, surely, because there's it, not that it's graphic content, but it certainly has a, a um, I don't you know, it is a thriller. You know, is and, it 90s PG when you're allowed to have one bit of swears and a lot go, somehow? Um, it's more threat. Imposing Ooh. threat is, a, is, I suppose, what the tour the would be on the BBFC. So I'm going to have to check in the UK great rating. It's nine minutes, mate. It's 90 minutes. Oh, it's just, you know, it's a magical time. Um, stars Sarah Pawson in the uh, Leeds and uh, Kira Allen also. It's a very small cast. It's a very kind of low-budget movie, uh, shot on a shoestring. I think it's about three, four million. Basic. Um, what kind of world do we live in? I,
0: it's a shoestring budget for me, which thirty pence a month <laughs> in, in, in Netflix term. Though, no, that is that mean. is
1: a small, small indie <laughs> art house budget, isn't it? Uh, it's not The Irishman, James. <laughs> <laughs> it is about a homeschooled. Um, a teenager who is coming to learn of a d- a dark, sinister secret kept by her mother. So, um, Kira Allen's character in this is uh, housebound. She's been homeschooled. Uh, her only real contact with the outside world is her mum. She has no internet access. Um, she's in a wheelchair. She's taking a host a cocktail of medications, and she becomes to question whether or not she should be taking all of these medications. Um, after, and it's no spoiler. It's in the trailer. She one day realises uh, checks her mum's shopping bag and sees her mum's name on some of the medication and then starts to see um, a fake label on some of the meds she's taking. So
0: it has this... Can I just say that so far, mate, you've painted a brilliant... That's sort of me. That's terrifying. That's brilliant. That's mm. like St. Maud to me, which I watched last year. The right, the right sort of horror. Yeah. Like the what you don't know is more terrifying than, you know, like a big serial killer. Mm. Oh, I'm hooked already. It, yeah. And Sarah Pawson pulls it off. I mean, anyone who's a fan okay, of, I love Sarah.
1: Pawson. yeah, American Horror Story. She, she has an ability that if there was an award for, um, which is going from, um, emotionless to breakdown, Probably the quickest. She can <laughs> she can go from like, you know, just being calm to like balls the wall crazy, like crying, very emotional. She's very emotional when she gets into her performances. And she, she's the absolute queen at it. She's so brilliant. American Horror is very much that. It's very much like, you know, screamy, you know, running kind of- Screamy queenie type Yeah, 110% thing, yeah. kind of stuff. And Sarah Paulson is absolutely brilliant. And she's great in this. It's a very Kathy Bates-esque role that nice. she's playing. And it has elements of those other movies that we know in different carnations like Rear Window, Disturbia, you know, those kind of house bounty movies. Um, Does it add anything new to it? No. Is it going to win any awards? No. Is it a 90-minute feature that's going to pass some time? Yeah, it's pretty watchable. It's pretty enjoyable. It is on Netflix. I imagine if you download this episode and you're looking for a movie to watch on, say, a Friday, Saturday night, ordering a pizza. Obviously, lockdown is still in force in the UK, so likelihood of going out for them pubs is not going to happen for just yet.
0: Although when you hear this episode... They will, you will be. Oh, this episode comes out on pub day, doesn't mate, it?
1: Congratulations. Yeah, well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. Now, you don't drink, and I've stopped drinking. Yeah. So, this is good. <laughs> it's just another day for us. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but I, I
0: it, might see less people.
1: It will, <laughs> it, yeah, it will pass the 90 minute uh, yeah. of time. It is so sort of enjoyable. And if you're a serial person fan, you're going to love it. So, run on Netflix now. That was just a little bonus. Now, Trial of Chicago Seven, Mank, Ghostbusters. How are we playing Which one are we doing first? Let's go with Trial of Chicago
0: Seven. That's, That's me again. Let's hit he? it. Here's you. Right, Aaron Sorkin movie. So, uh, can what- I just say that as soon as it's Aaron Sorkin, I, you know what? Put my hands up. I love Aaron Sorkin. Love Moneyball. Love The West Wing. He's, he's he wears his liberalness on his sleeve. And do you know what? Fuck it. I love it. Mm. Do you know, what? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, you know, the greatest question that I've always answered myself is, is he a better director or writer? Because when he writes, exquisite. And then sometimes when he directs, do you know what? Exquisite. Only two directing him, no. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't do that much directly. I this always... is Molly's Game, the only two that he's directed. Yeah, I haven't seen Molly's Game. It's on Netflix. Yeah, Idris Helper. Yes. There we go. Um. So when I found out, so I didn't realise that he was involved with this. I watched mm-hmm. this film and then about half half an hour into it, I went, this is very Sorkin-y. then it, it was, it was written
1: out. for Spielberg.
0: Do you know what? I can see it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was written for Spielberg, but um, it went through a bit of production hell. And obviously there's, I don't know if you know about COVID, but that's raging. What? And kind of I it, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's changed everything. But um, this did come out last year. Um, a two hour political history courtroom drama directed oh. by Ork, uh, Aaron Sorkin with an ensemble cast, including Eddie Redmayne and Mark Rylance. What's that? Is it a war season? It must be a war season. I can smell yeah. a war season coming out of this one. Yeah. Um, Yes, a Netflix release based on the real-life trial of seven left-wing activists and campaigners who rallied against the Vietnamese war in 1968. Um, This is reacting events surrounding the riots and the police violence at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Oh, this has got James all over Mate, this, not it? You're you frothing, know, it's, I can tell. It's got
0: like an anti-Vietnam, that's what they're, the protesting anti-Vietnam war. I'm there. I love that sort of era. I love anything Cold war so mm. I'm already, I'm already relaxing.
1: It's change of government as well, oh. and this is about a, uh, coming in to make a stance, making a example of those, um, and the, I know, I'm going to save that actually for a moment. Let's go through the cast list because it is ensemble. It is impressive. In terms of pulling together a cast, um, this is going to whip your out of time, if that hasn't so far. Eddie Redmayne, nice. uh, Alex Sharp, Sasha Bowen-Cohen, Jeremy Strong, who is out of the bad books because, yes, he was in um, Serendipity and he's been in there. Uh, Serenity, sorry, not Serendipity. He's in Serenity, the uh, Matthew McConaughey oh, So right. he's been in my bad books for a long time. So... It, Jeremy Strong, I know it, you listen to this podcast.
0: Unrecognizable in that wig.
1: He is, isn't he? <laughs> I genuinely was like, who is that? <laughs> like, for the longest time. I was like, and I was like, oh my God, it's Jeremy Strong. Um, John Carroll Lynch, big fan of. Yes. The unsung hero in many uh, shows and films, also in American Horror Story, as one of the best characters, killed off way too bloody early as Twisty the Clown, season four, Freak Show. You know what I'm talking about. Um, no, you don't, do it. No. <laughs> Mark Ryan said we killed
0: him. Not the killer in Zodiac. Uh, he's yeah. In Zodiac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I still don't really know who the killer is at the end of Zodiac. <laughs> I know that reflects history, <laughs> but still, uh, it's
1: got Mark Rylance in it. Who, let's be honest, is is the best. Yeah. He's the best. Let's be honest.
0: He's so effortless. That's he's what I mean. So irritating that he's so good. Theatre background. Do you know what? I never thought when he was, when he's going up against uh, Joseph gordon I, I just wanted Rylance to like like seduce him with his voice I mean, like mm. turn him at the end like be a good
1: guy <laughs> what voice he's so good he's so good he, he is he's He's the same as Christoph Waltz isn't he that kind of oh, coming gosh. up the ranks of theatre and then when he kind of gets to motion picture utterly outstanding in everything so, that he does so he
0: just appeared for me Rylance he was just like oh he's in the BFG now oh he's a big deal now
1: mm. and no there was nothing there was no like oh he's played well Spielberg f- kind of took him didn't he on <laughs> like Ready Player One BFG you're mine now <laughs> um, he also did uh, what was the other one that was in Bridge of Spies say Bridge of Spies yeah He still haunts me As Bridges Spice Another one of your Kind of Cold war Mate Loves I'm so happy right now uh, It's Joseph Gordon-Levitt
0: As you already mentioned Frank Langella Mate Mate I've always wanted to see Skeletor You know Back from retirement <laughs> It's nice to see him Michael Keaton
1: Yeah Didn't see it coming I did not see it coming <laughs> And uh, Mr. Manhattan himself, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mantin, who I never know if you're supposed to pronounce, i supposed to say The Second, because he is The Second. I mean, his full name is uh, Yaya Abdul-Mantin Second, who is great in this as well as Bobby Seale. So it's a tour de force. It's a powerhouse movie, which I put online earlier today, of of performances first and foremost it is a performance everyone has their moment you know Eddie Redmayne you know, has this thing where he's like he's waiting in the wings he's waiting and I'm like it, he's in this movie for something he's coming. and in the last third he's like here he is there he is he's just, <laughs> he pulls up a pew and he starts doing the big speechy parts to it yeah. um, really difficult to say who you would have cast as lead actor in this
0: movie oh god I can't think of a single one I know have they gone with Sasha? Sasha Sacha, Sacha Ron Ron Cohen? Ron
1: Cohen, who is who, the book forward which is the, the right Choice from the studio, so I know I'm not where today my life in film, but it seems like the right choice from the studio, which is often the case when you have actors that share screen time. They put, well, who is most likely? And I think because of the publicity of Borat Two yeah. and the anti-Trump era that we're in now, I think you know that's going to go in his favor that he's
0: he's quite hot at the moment. I think. Do you know what this film shows as well. So especially for Sasha, is that he's got. He's an amazing actor. Mm. And I just it, to me, this is one of those weird things where I always think he'll he'll go down and be remembered as like Bora or Bruno. Two films which at the time as a teenager I loved. I thought they were funny. But when you watch them as an adult, you're just like, oh, you know, do you know you you do grow out of that sort of humor? And then mm. but he's got performances like this. And he was particularly amazing in uh the demon barber. Oh, I, Tart- yeah. I thought he was very good in Sweeney Tars. So do you know what? He's got it. He's he very good. It. He's very good. And he was in our one land, too, his time, wasn't he? Oh <laughs> I puffed my cheeks out at that one. Hey, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Best thing about late Miz. No, no, no. Definitely the singing. <laughs> no, that was the best. Eddie Redmayne was in that. He can't win them all, can you I do? <laughs> yeah, but he's trying. <laughs> God loves a try anyway, mate.
1: If, if, he doesn't get, if he doesn't get as many Oscars as, say, Mel Streep, he'll certainly get as many nominations as Mel Street. Yeah. He is a he's a tryer, bless him. Um Andy was in that uh crappy Jupiter do be... you... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've not even watched that film fully. I that's such a shit film. <laughs> um it is an outstanding cast. Everyone brings it. Everyone performs. This is almost also a redemption for the likes of Joseph gordon Eleven. Not that he's done anything wrong, but certainly someone that's not as present in the spotlight. And I think because he chooses not to be, he's obviously got other projects on the go. I know he runs quite a few other companies in search and such. But actually bringing him in, I was like, as because I would actually cast him as almost a lead role. He certainly gets as much screen time yeah. as just about anyone else in this film. Um but it is also what what film does brilliantly is it showcases a shocking... It's a shocking history lesson at the end of the day, isn't it, of retelling um, important events, particularly in US legal history. Um, it is within uh, Sorkin's wheelhouse, as you've mentioned at the top of this section, West Wing, Newsroom, Few Good Men. You combine them three, you've got this film. Oh, I'm sorry. Say it's, that again. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he had a hard sell when he went to the, when he went to the studio and was like... Right, I've got. I need money. Do it. I, I, yeah, it's like what's it? it's got a courtroom. Okay, it's political. Yeah, you have got it. Um, do you know what? I haven't
0: seen a good courtroom drama in a while. I, I can't Do like that. it? I'd love a courtroom drama. Do you know what? I believe in the nineties that you couldn't you couldn't watch a film without it being in a courtroom. Even it was diehard in a courtroom. Lie, mm. lie. You know everything. Yeah, Patch but, Adams.
1: Last two minutes. Courtroom. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you had to have a courtroom like your big event. If it wasn't if it wasn't a shootout, it was a courtroom drama, <laughs> and I fucking loved this. Mate, carry on. Um, I'm loving you talking about this.
1: No, yeah, I don't think it was a hard sell getting it. It's shot non linear, which I also really like. I like the, um, so you've got the courtroom, which is yeah. the, the emphasis. You've got flashbacks. You've got use of real footage, archive footage, oh, testimonials, yeah. all interplaying in breaking down what happened on that day when
0: the riots happened. So there's a brilliant framing device they use with this. Uh, Sasha's doing, sorry, I keep saying Sasha. We're best mates, you know. Yeah, uh, you know. Sasha is at a stand up. Mm. Uh, and he's doing comedy about what's happening. And then you see Reddy, Eddie talking to a friend, you see like a policeman talking to someone, and they've all got different versions of what happened. I frigging love that scene. Yeah, it's got that that very,
1: I don't know, maybe the the modern way of doing these big tales like this, these big stories that have lots of moving parts, lots of characters, I'm thinking movies like Big Short. I'm thinking movies like- um, Oh, mate. You, Vice, you know, these, God, these God, kind of- are
0: just turning me on. <laughs> but it's these
1: kind of movies where you have to have quick segments of people telling you a little bit of narrative, cut to the next person. He's walking with a coffee, telling another character, you know, it's exposition, exposition, getting you to where you need to be the viewer, but doing so in a very fast paced, snappy newsroom-y kind of way. And- I actually quite like this style of filmmaking. I don't think Aaron Sorkin invented it, but he's certainly one of those that's pushing this, you know, how it how it works. Has elements of suspense, drama, and oddly, a lot of humour in this movie. Yes, weirdly for the topic. And what I think works really well with that is, one, it adds to the parody, what is the court case itself? And I mean that very, I'm very aware of what I'm saying there because it's obviously a very, you know, these are seven individuals Um, Well, in fact, eight, but we're not going to get into too much of the storyline, but their lives, you know, and and their risk of jail and, and, and even more so their, um, you know, what they believe in is on trial. That's essentially they're being put on trial for, you know, what they believe in. And, but it has this element of comedy that makes it all look like a parody courtroom drama because of the way it's shot what that does really well is and and i think that's reflective of the scenario itself is that it's so ridiculous particularly frank langelo as the judge who is like a cartoon character in and, and you know but then when the moments of shocking violence happen or um in particular um the uh, violation of human rights and the racist behaviour uh, that goes on to Yahya Abdul manteens character, uh, Bobby Seale. Who's the one of the Black Panthers. He well, so. was a co, yeah, he's co-leader, isn't he, of of one of the the, the Black Panther um, sections? It that is like an absolute gut punch because you find yourself one minute almost ch- not laugh out loud, but chortling yeah. and, in, and enjoying it, and you know in. And then when these moments happen, you're like, "Oh my god!" And then then you sit back and you're like, "That's the fucking genius of this filmmaking." Is it lulls you in with a sense of security? And you drop your guard down, and then it hits you with those quite quite. I mean, the the, the scene, and I'm not going to spoil it because it's new. But the the, the Bobby Seal scene when he um, when is that restrained, event happens, yes. yeah, is utterly shocking. And then when they use the archive footage. Um, do you know what? And as well, you shouldn't really compare this to other movies or the ill. But Black Hansman did this as well. That idea of you find yourself laughing at scenes out of the out of the nature of like how preposterous it was. The
0: sheer the sheer stupidity. Like, yeah, I know. I'm but then he's utterly fucking. And you're like, this would never happen. And then you're like, yeah. it did happen. And you, do you know what? I used I usually use the term like punching the punching the nuts or punching the emotions. Mm. This is a punch in the morals. Yeah. This is like. This is like, the situation is so absurd that we're laughing at it, but then it's like, oh, no, it really happened. And you're like, shit. Yeah. (laughs) You just instantly like, smile on my face. Perfect being like when they object, object, everyone's objecting. By the time that you get to object, it's funny. Mm. Bang, the next scene, something has happened to one of the characters and you're like, shit, I should Mm. not have laughed earlier because them objecting and turning it into a joke is what the judge did. Thus, you know, creating an environment where they could just smash down someone's civil liberties. It is...
1: A, a, as I said at the top, tour de force, a powerhouse movie. This is, um, it's cast brilliantly. Yeah, there is no weak There is, there. N- yeah, there is no weak I mean, Mark Rylance, down to earth, modest defense lawyer in this, um, consta- He He's straight away, Mark Rylance in that wig, as like, settle down, I'm gonna love this, <laughs> and and he doesn't, he doesn't, um. Hold back. I think Sasha Baron Cohen and Jeremy Strong as the two flower power yeah. activists, um, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, perfectly performed. And also the Chicago accent is, I, I imagine, is quite difficult. And I and I think the, the, particularly Sasha Baron Cohen pulls that off really well. Joseph Govelev, as I've already said, the the divided prosecutor who has their morals that is seeing things unravel in front of him that starts to question what side he's on. I love that Eddie Redmayne is the silent scene stealer
0: he always is though isn't he he's just ready to go isn't he he's just ready to steal your scenes and your Oscar Frank Langella is inch perfect he is the best but in a role that you really wish he wasn't yeah because yeah. he, he plays he plays, the... he plays dick really well I'd say
1: this is <laughs> I'd say this is more dickish than Skeletor
0: which which pretty... fucking out of there. and Skeletor ruled Eternia for a short while <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I find it very hard to disagree uh, yeah. I imagine this is Skeletor's origin story <laughs> before he lost his skin <laughs> um, tempered
1: aged villainous George Hoffman also didn't put the two and two together as well that when um, Sashmo and Koha's character takes the stand um he won't say his surname because he shares the surname with the judge the yes. roper for hoffman and he won't give his surname he's like my name's abby and i was given a surname that i and i didn't get that until i read the cast and i was like all oh, right okay i get it um but yeah frank langella awesome john Carroll lynch as the major pacifist of the group the working man the guy when, with the family i was just
0: did you want know a really like as well He's the dad.
1: He's <laughs> he is. the voice of reason. And there's a particular scene that highlights this, and that is when they break for for lunch. They go into a room where they talk about the case, and there's lunch laid out for him. He's the only one who takes a sandwich. <laughs> and that gets you in movies because you would eat. You, yeah. I don't care. You would eat. You know you, you, well, you, you know, you need your energy or whatever. He's the only one who takes a sandwich and starts chowing into it. And I'm like, good for you, John Carroll Lynch. Um, <laughs> That's just you and your
0: buffet all over again. <laughs> yeah.
1: And he has got a great score all the way through uh, from Daniel Pemberton, who I don't know if he's. I haven't looked to the Oscar noms this year. I'm not. I'm not really paying too much attention, but um, I imagine he's up there. I think News of the World is certainly the the leading one for me. Um, mm. Mank is particularly good as well because of you know how how on the nose it is to the, to the area that it's portraying. But um, all in all, we do this podcast to find the greatest movies of all time. If we find them, we put them in the vault. I think Trial of Chicago 7 goes in. So you're glad
0: I asked you to watch it. Fucking hell, yeah. Mate, as soon as I found out Andy's talking, I was what, about five minutes in? Mm. I knew I was gonna love this film. And it, do you know what's the mark of a great film? I mean, we say it's about documentary. If a film is based on real events or inspired by real events, if it then makes you want to go out and research those events, mm. that film has worked. And that's what I did. Yeah. And I love this film. And I think it's I think it's brilliant. And yes, vote it. vote it. Vault, vault, vault.
1: Um that's it, that's him. Uh, best luck with the award season. Yeah. <laughs> from from your friends That's at, this, you at this podcast. Uh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, do go out. I hope we've inspired you to go out and check it out. It's it, like I say, it's not, it sounds a lot. When you, when, when you hear drama, courtroom, history, political, you think three hours. It's it's not, it's two hours, but it, it does go really quick. I, I paused at one point to go make a drink and I was like, oh, there's only a half hour left. I was like, bloody hell, I'm really enjoying this. And that is the sound of a great movie. It is the sound of a great movie.
0: Well, Mate, what an episode so far. We've talked about one film. We've already talked about how it should win a load of Oscars and it should win uh, the hearts and minds of everyone. Mm. You, should, you want to carry on? To Ghostbusters. Do you want to do Ghostbusters? Do you want me to speak a little bit? Do you want to do Mank? Do you want to do Mank? Do you know I do want do Mank? Be, I won't go much as to Mank because there's a point I want to make about All Mank. Right. Do Mank. Mank is a 2020 biographical uh, biologic Biological. Biological <laughs> drama about screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz and his development of the screenplay for Citizen Kane. The filmer is a labour of love for director David Fincher whose father Jack Fincher had originally written a screenplay in the 90s but unfortunately people passed the, the Kevin Spacey up for it. Um, the 90s was good to Kevin Spacey. Um and you Jack Fincher passed away. So I think that's really nice. Already you've got a labour of love that the mm. son is picking up wants to make this film for his father. Mank has been a huge success with critics, getting high scores and being praised for its direction, writing, music and acting. The film has been nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress and Best Picture. The film stars Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, Lily Collins and Charles Dance. Mate, it's been a while since we mentioned Charles Dance. It's been like an episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it freakishly... Like, what like was
0: well spoken about on this podcast is Charles Dance. I love Charles Dance, even when he plays eco-terrorists in films that make no sense. Mm. <laughs> um, Mankiewicz, Mankiewicz is an extreme alcoholic, seemingly wandering away from liver failure, full of, full of cynicism, a sharp intellect, and a sharper tongue. Bedbound due to a car accident, Mank is the first choice of Orson Welles, who's got carte blanche, to write anything he wants for his next project, and he wants Mank. Being bedbound, Mank's secretary has to do a lot of the formality, reading a lot of the writing, correcting a lot of mistakes, and she noticed similarities between the screenplay's main character, who later become Kane in the film Citizen Kane, and a real-life American businessman named William Rudolph Hearst, uh, a character, uh, a person that Mank has had several dealings with in the past. What follows is a black-and-white, nicotine-filled period piece that doesn't follow a linear timeline as we see Mank grow as a writer but deal with his ostentatious ways in a world that's quite... Uh, seemingly. So what we've got is we've got non-linear. So what we've got is it will cut from the 1930s to the 1940s. We've got Hollywood at its peak, you know, the golden era when Hollywood could have been. Well, it's broken. just before
1: the golden era, is Yeah, it? no, sorry.
0: It's the peak of what will become the golden era. Yeah. Citizen Kane probably being the launching point of the great American Hollywood age. So Transitioning to the talkies at the beginning, isn't mm-hmm. it? So, um, do you know what? I'm going to start off with the positives I like about this film. Gary, Oldman's, Gary Oldman gives a great performance. However, Gary Oldman gives a performance that if you had told me he was playing uh, Churchill in this film, I'd believe it. There's a v- when you know he's <laughs> <it's> very Churchillian. <laughs> I don't think there's that much range. Amanda Seyfried is actually pretty good. She's phenomenal. I think she might be locked for best supporting actress. Mm. She is that good in this film.
1: This is a career top performance. This is this a career is. top performance,
0: and it just shows you that she doesn't always pick the greatest films, but. It's there. Charles Dance, as always, plays a great arsehole. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted an arsehole, it's what you should do. What I really like about this film is the period that it's set in and the writing, hinting at, you know, the troubles in Nazi Germany when it's set in the 30s about what they're going to do. The evolution of the uh, of Orson Wells's character. You know, he gets carte blanche. He's, you see him at the beginning, but his presence is throughout the film of, oh, my God, he wants man. The role of the producers they play in interfering with the movies. It's like a really good, like... Mank might be the greatest generation of his mind, but he doesn't. he's not allowed his name on his paperwork. He's no. not allowed to be, you know, recognised because that's not his job, or he is the screenwriter at a time where screenwriters don't really exist. Mm. Everything in this film should be brilliant. So the real big positives are the way it's shot. It's like watching a 30s film. It is dark, dank, black and white. The, you can see, like, the sweat dripping off the actors. It's so visceral and so real to what I assume a 1930s film, classic film would look like. It's brilliant. And the music's fantastic. Yeah,
1: I like the the audio of this because it's particularly noticeable when dance comes on. Yes. It's very bassy. And so I imagine it was either filmed with a lot of the old school kind of techniques or it was edited to a high perfection to give you that illusion. Because I know they They filmed it uh, on like an old camera as well oh, right. only so certain gonna, scenes I was going to say because I, I I was going to suggest did they superimpose the the burn rings in the corner they, I imagine they did yeah because it, it has a artistic flair to really help you settle into I mean it's black and white for yeah. starters so it really does try to help you settle into the area that it's depicting
0: and, and the performances are very good mm. but I do actually have a fundamental problem with this film Hollywood's got a and I'm really trying to be politically correct about this Hollywood's very up its own ass. <laughs> and I'm thinking about films like The Artist and Argo and stuff like that. Hollywood gets off on films that celebrate Hollywood and this film celebrates Hollywood. <laughs> and it, it, I know it does And now I know what you think. No, it doesn't. It really he does. does. <laughs> it, it does. It really does. And when you're going towards the ending, there's a great ending. I won't spoil it for you. It's actually quite emotional, quite heartbreaking. You know, does he get his just deserves. Does he get what he wants? But ultimately by this time, and the film does drag I really didn't care. Mm. And it really hurts because the acting's... If you break it down into segments, the writing's very good. The acting's very good. The directing's very good. So realistically, you should have put together a film that's very good. However, I did quite a lot of the time. That was kind of a chore to get through this film.
1: But the first hour is very charming.
0: Oh, yes. But but there's a lot going on in the first hour. Yeah,
1: in the first hour, you've got a lot of nods to... You know, you're like... You you don't have to be a, a film... Like buff or a, or a, yeah. or, a, or, a, or a thespian of of the movies to to really g- note that this is going for an Oscar, you know, with with the, with the title, with the black and white, with the with the era that it's, it's set in, with the choice of you know people like Gary Oldman. There's a there's a scene very early on with um you know a car crash that's filmed you know on green screen and it you you know you're like oh, I know what we're in for with this you know and the, the first hour is also the charming leading up to I think really the 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 axis on this is in the middle there's a party and there's a scene where Gary Oldman and Amanda Seafree go for a walk around the grounds and there's giraffe and there's elephants and you know and it's very picturesque and, and it's beautiful and it's and it's just it's romantic it's just too much Hollywood
0: but it's too much Hollywood it's Yeah, too much <laughs> yeah it's and I, I do what this film is giving itself a, it's giving itself such a pat on the back by the end of this film well, do you know what's <laughs> really <laughs> ironic though is
1: I probably would have put this up I would, as a guest I've just got the while you was talking there I've got the Oscar list up for this year the nominations I would have had this down and considering it's about screenplays and screenwriters <laughs> it's not up <laughs> for Vesta it's a no screenplay <laughs> and actually I think that's its strongest point because you know it is about screenplays and um There is a scene, as I just mentioned, in the centre of this with at least 15 people at a party talking in a joint conversation that is filmed and uh, written exquisitely. Oh, yeah. There's an utterly charming scene in this where they're all going around and they're talking about Hitler and all this kind of stuff. Then they're talking about movies and then, you know, and they're going around and they're talking about, like, you know, actors that that they've bumped into. And all these conversations are going on in unison but they're all connected. And it's so well shot. I was like, the, the, that is real expertly filmed.
0: But I was more interested in how it was shot. And I don't think that's a good thing for the storyline. I, I was like, yeah. I was watching it oh, it looks really cool. Like, it's, like, it's, it's such an a master thirty. It's Like, everyone's smoking. Like, there's not a scene where no one's got a cigarette on the go or, you know, drinking from stained glass glasses or, and what I love about it is the way the smoke billows on the screen and it kind of lingers. It's, it's a really like kind of exotic classic look, which I really love. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about how the film looks, how the film shot or the stylization of, you know, bringing Hollywood mid, uh, mid-30s out, you know, with the animals running across like in Hollywood. But I'm not talking about a storyline or how it gripped me. I, I think it's deep down. It, it doesn't capture the magic of mm. that era for me. And, and that's, that's sad because, like I say, the acting, Gary Oldman's pulled it out. You know obviously he's thought well, I've done the hunt for a October spin-off of whatever that was what was that uh hunter killer it was I've done Hunter Killer I've redone the kitchen I'll go for another Oscar prop up me prop up my shelf because I've got the one <laughs> I need a second and I just think I just think it hurts I think it's detrimental to the film ultimately it's it, I think the term I'm trying to trying to use is so far up its own ass it's mm. and to me it's going to win a lot of Oscars and I don't think that's deserved because I love the film Argo was it the best film? No, but it's a celebration of what Hollywood can do. You know, uh, the artist, a brilliant example being just a celebration of-, of Argo. It
1: Argo had John Goodman in, in uh, what's his name? Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin,
0: O'K- you were, No, not Alan Is it Alan Arkin? Is it, Alan Arkin? Yeah,
1: um,
0: chomping away at scenes that it's just glorious to watch. Yeah, but it's sort a wonderful it. And mm. I just feel like this one is is this this telling of like, oh, how great is Hollywood? Oh, let's talk about its greatest achievements, Citizen Kane. That's not. Yeah, uh, not disappointing. Oh, it's not disappointing. I feel like, you do know what, like I say, the positives are there. It's great. Do you want know the storyline by the end of it? Do you want know the last, the last like, four minutes when certain things happen? It's brilliant. Mm. I, don't, I don't want to spoil it for you. And the Indian's quite happy. And the guy who plays awesome wells, whose name I forgot, he did a great job. Like, his cameo is at the beginning and at the end. And he's fantastic. Um, Charles Lance, perfectly places like the multi-millionaire dickhead and because the story's true the multi-millionaire dickhead <laughs> because the story's true you you can understand the film citizen kane a lot better knowing that it's based on his character and that's really cool but at the same time that means that you have to watch t- I, it's too much it's too much which trial of uh trial of the chicago 7 was effortless i felt like i have to put a lot of effort into watching this film mm. and and that's not a bad thing it just wasn't for me and that was uh that was mank 2020
1: Man, yeah, it's, it's worth a watch. And if you if you listen to a film podcast, you're probably a film enthusiast, which means it's probably either on your radar or you've already seen it. So do let us know what you think. If you think we're talking out of our ass, I I, I thought it was all right. I, I I enjoyed it. It felt long. It was long. But then again, I watched it because I watched it very broken because of a, a, a screaming kid. So I think I had to watch it in like ten sittings. What are you doing some in as well? No, I wasn't. I wasn't ironing. Um, but it, yeah, it certainly, certainly made it feel a bit longer. But I, I, yeah, it was it was a nice nod. And it was an achievement in um, filmmaking from David Fincher, who we're going to do a podcast on at some point, surely. Because the guy, you know, his repertoire of film is, you know, seven. We've already talked about Zodiac in, in this episode. Yeah, but social on. network, you
0: know. Alien 3. Yeah. Can't win them all. <laughs> you
1: can't win them all. Everyone's Alien 3 it. struggled from the bit, well, from trying to pioneer some visual effects and it really shouldn't have done. No. Nah.
0: Never mind.
1: Uh, Let's do what we came here to do and that is to ooze over our love for the 80s in a classic with a theme that if I can find it, I'm probably going to put in now over this section. Um, But we are, of course, here to talk about Ghostbusters from 1984. Uh, PG movie it's one hour 45 if you've not heard of it it's uh, produced and directed by Ivan Reitman it stars Bill Murray Dan Aykroyd Scorner Weaver Harold Ramis Ernie Hudson Rick
0: Moranis and Annie Potts Willie Matherton. don't forget him you can't forget everyone's AE's <laughs> like favourite dickhead I was going
1: to save him for a little yeah no 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 I think you're right I mean, yeah put him at the front then that's fine um <laughs> do have a paranormal phenomenon wreaking havoc in your home well you need the ghostbusters Three parapsychology professors recently fired from their cushy job at the new york university have set up their own business to help rid you of your ghoulish troubles mate i'm fucking in well i'll get this next bit insert our heroine uh, Dana Barrett played by Sigourney Weaver who has discovered a gateway to an unknown unknown realm in her fridge slash freezer the plot thickens (laughs) the (laughs) plot thickens Could this gateway to another dimension be the link needed for Goza the Gozerian uh, to wreak havoc on Earth? Yes, it is, James. And as bad luck would have it, Dana has been targeted by Zul, a demigod intent on bringing Goza back to destroy Earth. Now, you won't believe it, but her uh, appointment—her appointment, her apartment—is a beacon, is an antenna for gravitating spiritual souls. Uh, and concentrating spiritual energy to help summon that monster employed yeah. by New York's mayor, the Ghostbusters are called to save the day.
0: Mate, that's a that's fucking shocking.
1: As a kid, I knew the beginning bit, none of that second bit. I think you need to, as a kid. As a kid, I was very much just like they hunt ghosts. That's all you need. They to hunt know. ghosts, and, and there's
0: a bigger ghost coming.
1: There's there's something at the end. the Ghosts, ghosts, which actually helps with when you learn about the movie, know about the movie that. Uh, I'll say it right off the bat. This movie is devoid of any meaning. Yep. It is purely an entertainment movie experience. Yeah. It has no deep meaning. You're not going to go away from this movie thinking like, oh, what it really reflected was in really dissecting. It, it is nonsense. It is pure 80s nonsense. Um, helmed by Dan Aykroyd, obviously originally written for himself and um John Belushi. John Belushi. It was going to be a time traveling supernatural movie. That yeah, they were, well, but, yeah, <laughs> and the studio then pulled the plug on that um, and wanted it in New York. They cut the budget in half um, and asked them to rewrite it. In which case, he then stepped up with Harold Ramus. They finished the script, brought in Bill Murray, um, and the rest is is absolute history of what we now have as the Ghostbusters. But it is devoid of any deep and meaning or anything like that. It no, is- I
0: think there's like a meaning that that I think it's trying to get you to buy American. You can really see that in this in this. In the scene in this PG film where Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from a ghost. Yeah, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Whilst he's dressed as an app. <laughs> that's a bit weird, isn't it? It's fucked up, mate. It's fucked up. Yeah. And then the worst thing was, it was like, that's PG. Like, nowadays you can't even swear in a PG. <laughs> what a film. What a fucking film. I'm not saying tonally it's perfect, James. No, I don't I didn't know that was a positive. Um, do you know what, as a kid, I didn't know what was happening then. <laughs> can you remember, though, as a kid, first watching Ghostbusters? Uh, yeah, do you know what, Ghostbusters was huge in my house. Anthony, who's my friend growing up, will always tell this story about, um, I loved the Ghostbusters, I had the first toy uh, at the, you know, the fire station. Parents mm. wouldn't let me play, play with the gunge in case it got on the carpet. So I had the thing, but I couldn't gunge anything. Did you gunge the carpet regularly, James? Uh, no, because they took my gunge away. Mm. I wasn't allowed to play with any of my gunge. Shame. Um, so, so, and then my dad was wrestling you know, choke slamming us as you do. Mm. Go back a few episodes, from wrestling special, and he choke slammed uh, Marshall. And uh, sorry, Anthony, who bounced off the bed and smashed on this, uh, on this Ghostbusters. And bad. then he just bought me another one. But you know, that's the sort of shit I loved it. i mm. echo one, quite possibly one of my favorite vehicles, one of my favorite fictional vehicles of all time. Love it. I love the fact that it's basically a, a hearse. It's a hearse, isn't it? Yeah. It's a hearse. I love the noise it makes. I love the fact that no one ever questions, you know, why it's allowed to run red lights, mm. sirens. I love the fact that. Do you know what I really didn't understand as a kid as well? Is the, the element of you have to pay. Mm. You know, I really, as an adult, you appreciate that. They go in there, and it's like, well we'll, well, we'll put it back then if you don't pay. I like, well, what a dick move. Yeah, we saw a public service, James. Yeah, but I love it. It's you not know, government funded. Yeah, but they get to run, their, run the lights. I, do you know what, mate? I love this film. I fucking love it.
1: I, I had a very similar experience. My earliest ever memory is being in a pushchair with Ecto-1 boxed on my knee. Oh
0: my God, that's amazing.
1: And it was the it was the first toy I remember owning. I, in our house, the Slammer and the Real Ghostbusters animated series was big. The Real Ghostbusters yeah. was
0: brilliant. They had like Echo 3, it was like a black car. That was cool.
1: Yeah, it was Real Ghostbusters, then they changed it to Slammer and the Real Ghostbusters oh, to, right, to, for marketing, wasn't it? And and it was, it was toy boxes, it was, it was toys, sorry, lunch boxes and toys, TV shows. I knew all of that way before I saw the movie.
0: Oh, I think I saw the movie first before I got into it. Oh, right. No. So, I don't so going
1: into it, I knew who the Ghostbusters so were. I knew all the like, you know, the, all the mechanics of the backpack and you know the the you know the basically the shoebox that opens up and, and captures ghosts, and all of that from the animated series. For me, I remember constantly as a kid being like, "Why they after Slimer? He's their mascot. He's their sidekick. He's there. He's one of them." And being very confused as a kid, being like, oh, "I don't know why they why they like attacking him because he's the he's good in the cartoon, James." Yeah.
0: Not in
1: on this one, right? No, there's always vs too.
0: He's a dick. He's just hungry. He's be the ghost of John Belushi, isn't he? Is it? it that's, when, when Dan Aquil was right, he'd always said Slimer would be the ghost of John Belushi, which is barely a compliment. <laughs> I mean, compared yeah. to what he's Slimer He's definitely does. got his complexion, that <laughs> <Yeah>. green glow. <laughs> But do you know what? I love everything about this film. There's, I can't think of a few moments. When I was rewatching this week, it was like a warm hug from my childhood. Mm. And I think as I, as I get older, I actually appreciate it. You know, you said it was devoid of any hidden meaning or anything. Do you know what this film is, ultimately? It's a m- man film. It, everything about it, just, you know, it's it's just three friends pissing about, but, yeah. they're, but they're pissing about as Ghostbusters, which I fucking love. I The first scene, the first scene where Egon's like, there's an apparition in this library and the three of them go there and they ask Dan Aykroyd what to do. You know, they speak to her and she goes, shh. And then they go to Dan Aykroyd and he goes like, I've got a plan, follow me. And he just screams, get her. And they
1: bum rush fucking, her.
0: Fucking, they try to kirgan, her, mate. I fucking, mate, Crease this. Knew it was coming. Falling on the floor, laughing. It's yeah. so funny. Gunged it, everywhere. It it doesn't change. It's so. Ha- it's such a good film. I love it.
1: It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm struggling with the man reference that you mentioned, the man movie. But I get it now. What you're saying
0: is well, and also and also, it's like at the end, it's cross the streams. It's like yeah. it's like. A group of of friends. It's it's a bunch of schoolboys seeing
1: what they could get in a movie, exactly, and get away with. You know, on the budget that they had, because you know we're talking earlier about the movie Run having a three or four million budget. This was on twenty-five to thirty million. It had. Yeah, it's a huge budget for the movie and for the time. It actually went on to make a hundred million in its first year alone. Cracking. And grossing nearly three hundred million worldwide since then. Um. It was the most. It was one of the most successful. Sorry, movies to come out of the eighties. It was actually beaten in eighty four by Beverly Hills Cop. I can't remember. all. Yeah, uh, but it did knock off the top spot. Temple of Doom and uh, would later kind of go on. You know how you hear in certain times that when movies come out at the wrong time and it goes against yeah. something else and never really finds its audience. Temple of Doom certainly says that it. Well, Spielberg and the Lucas and everyone said that Ghostbusters certainly kind of prevented them from getting the profits that they thought they were going to get. Fuck you! <laughs> I know just, you don't, don't need the money, dear yeah. Jesus. Um, I, I I love the movie as well. I think it, why well, it certainly went on to critical acclaim. It was it was well received by uh, critics for its use of comedy, action, and horror, um, and particularly well praised for Bill Murray's
0: performance throughout the piece. Bill Murray is a fantastic tour de force of of uninterested man. <laughs> Right, just, so this is Pete Murray, isn't it? He lives in a world where ghosts are happening. You know, ghosts are mm. real. He's just trying to get his end away. <laughs> he's just like, oh, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs>
1: yeah, Murray does this thing. Like, and don't get me wrong, I think Murray is God. I think he is He's wicked. And I do, I, I love the stages of life he's in now. I, I like Wes Anderson. I like the movies that he's doing now, the more artistic ones. Again, he's got that license to just do what you want, you know. You're Bill Murray. He's but You're Bill Murray. He paid your dues. Um, and he's quite early on in his career you don't you know I I didn't really know where Ghostbusters fell within that timeline I mean you know, he'd obviously done movies pre this so he'd done you know the likes of um, Tootsie he was in that wasn't he I know he'd um, obviously done Caddyshack, so I think Caddyshack it's his first throw, and yeah. Meatballs and that kind of stuff I think he'd done Stripes
0: he'd definitely done Stripes yeah
1: but it was it was it was before obviously things like Groundhog Day and um, Yeah, I think this Little is from I probably Pet do. Shop of Horror and that kind of thing Little Shop of Horror sorry Um but yeah, it's interesting to see what this force in mean, his timeline is. Is it more his best?
0: No. Or but it's think- probably his most iconic. Me- well, yeah, yeah. I think right. it is because the character of Venkman could have just been called... It- Venk- Harold Ramis' character, Egon, is the clever one. Dan Aykroyd is the passion. But Venkman was the cool one. Mm. Everyone wanted to be Venkman because you just wanted to be the guy that wasn't interested but still got ghosts anyway somehow. Ernie Hudson was the working man. Yeah. Like, Ernie, Ernie Hudson was the cool one. And but you wanted to be Venkman. You just wanted to be like pissed about. You wanted to say the cool one-liners. You wanted to be kind of an asshole to everyone. Just, mm. just. And Annie Potts as well. She had great chemistry with, uh, with. Uh, uh, Who are we talking about? Bill Potts. Bill, Bill Murray. The scenes where it's like any messages. No, yeah. it's like you're gonna pay me. No, <laughs> I fucking brilliant. Annie Potts.
1: Also, you forgetting the, the voice of Bo Peep in Toy Story.
0: Is a bit of film trivia for you. Really? Yeah, mate. No, do you um, know what? Every day I learn something with you. Thanks, mate. It's all
1: right. I, I, I put the exact same as what you said there. Murray, dry, sarcastic, um, smart, but lazy. And that is yeah. Murray in a nutshell. <laughs> like could easily be the smartest in the room, but just chooses not to be. He just floats through as Bill Murray. Aykroyd, uh, you know, the idealist, the op- the uh, optimist of the group. Ramis is the the wit and the practicality. The probably the most scientific out of them all. Yeah the health especially, and safety conscious especially in the sequel you know when they just hype all the characteristics up to about 11 yeah and then Hudson yeah blue collar realism the one you're supposed to
0: link in with <laughs> well he, the... just, he shows I love that but he gets do you believe in like the Loch Ness Monster blah blah he goes if it pays I'll believe anything you tell me <laughs> yeah. to because I exactly, you're like he wants a job yeah <laughs> just give the man a job I, I, um, <laughs> I tell I, the man tell the mayor about the Twinkie it's like the fucking greatest line <laughs> it's like what <laughs>
1: I think Mori's best is lost in translation. I think I was thinking about this earlier. I oh, do, yeah. I do think that is his. But I think that could have been Venkman. That could have been the. It could have, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. certainly almost biographical, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, Bill yeah. but Take away being in Japan and just put it as Bill Mori in life, <laughs> just flowing around, just in Bill Mori land.
0: Um, he's he's fascinating. I do love Bill Mori. I think um, I appreciate, but well, I you know what, when I first saw Lost in Translation, didn't like it, but but I don't because because I was like, what's happening? Nothing's happening. But that's the point, isn't mm. it? Nothing's happening. I got I got quite drunk
1: uh, last about two years ago, and I watched it at like two in the morning. You know when everyone else has gone to bed, and yeah. you're still drinking, and yeah, I do unfortunately, we, yeah, and uh, I laughed all the way through it. I thought it was, and I've never seen it in another light since I just think it's utterly brilliant for the dry sarcasm talk about a movie that's centered around fish out of water yeah. but he is he is the his character arc in most movies is is um, redemption isn't it of a character yeah. you know is I, I think they call it a character transition genre piece is certainly him. He is not the same, Groundhog Day is probably the crowning achievement of that. He's, he's not the same person at the end of the movie. Scrooge, obviously, is a, yeah. a good example of that as well, where he's not the same no, person it's, by it's the
0: end. same as the same as Stripes, you know. Do mm. yeah, you want, know what, mate? We're having a Ball Murray episode soon. There you go. I, I I've been saying this for years. Doing... You know, because I was just, I was about to use Stripes, and I'm fucking mm. off Stripes, I can't wait. John Candy, mate. If we can do... we'll do that We'll have John Candy episode soon after that We well. can do Murray, but maybe
1: for like the 150th show, but. Get him in. Spe- special on uh, Lost in Translation. I'd love to rewatch it. All right, cool. It is a nostalgic slice of cinema. It took us to a time when New York was dirty. Fucking right, dirty as it, well. It, you know, like, because then all of a sudden, like, in the 90s, it got glossed up for tourism, didn't it? And, yeah. Like, all of a sudden, it was the place you wanted to be. It was romantic. It was a bit... 70s, was, 80s, New York was dirty.
0: And it was just, like, lots of people really annoyed with you. Like, really yeah. angry. Like, everyone was a dick. I'm walking here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like you had the snob as well. I love, I love snobby ways because I never really understand that. Why did they get to be snobby, their way is. It's surely the clientele that's supposed to be snobby. Yeah. The way the you should be on their side is like, yeah, fuck this place. Just, I don't own it. Fuck it up.
1: Right. So I'm just getting, I'd be really all about me, James. But I, I I went to New York like years ago. <laughs>
0: was it great? <grimy>? Hey, <laughs> no,
1: no, it was really nice. But I did go to the Hard Rock right Cafe and I remember eating, I just got like a, you know, I think at the time I was eating meat. So it was like a steak meal yeah. or whatever like that. And I remember I finished my plate and the waiter came over, it, and he's just so sassy. It was just like, mm, sorry, there wasn't enough. Like that. And I was like, I don't. Am I supposed to leave some because that's waste? Like there are people starving. Like, of course I'm going <laughs> to eat it all.
0: And I felt really bad after that. Well, what, Did you pay for it?
1: Yeah, and that's so, what I mean. I paid for that so
0: broccoli. Fuck him. <laughs> You're listening, wait. Fuck you. Yeah. He listens as well.
1: So <laughs> bizarre place. It's a bizarre place. It's like if, you, like, just put the tip on the bill so I know what to give you. So you don't shower at me. Yeah. It's a very very hostile environment.
0: I truly really don't want to go because I just I don't want to overtip someone. That's my biggest concern. That's something. If I give a tip, to someone, like oh, thank you. I've like well, give me some back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're just oh, big spenders. <laughs> is
1: it? Yeah. Give us some. Yeah. Anyway, bizarre place. Bizarre place. Uh, yeah. This movie, awesome. <laughs> uh, like many of that area uh, era, the most hated villain is not the monster because, after all, they're doing what yeah. is innate to them. Exactly. You know the real Mate. the real monster is bureaucracy. Mate, fucking fuck. The fucking. man. Yeah. The health officer. Yes. William Atherton, in this case, mate. Fucking eighties, it must have been. It is. It is. It was, uh, it was
0: too early for Ronnie Cox. It, it, <laughs> it had
1: to be William Atherton. And it's, it's, you know, the 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 man, the government stepping on the small business, isn't it? That is literally the, the only small business. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, the, the fucking ghostbusters. Yeah, but they're trying to make an ends me aren't they? Yeah. You know. um, but there is that, i put this online and I was amazed at how many people jumped in on this, the amount of links to Die Hard this movie has, you know, yep. from certainly Reginald, uh, Val Johnson in this movie as a New York beat cop. You could <laughs> you could say that something bad happened that's caused him to go out to LA and be yep. John McClane four years later. You could say that Winner Afton uh, lost his job after this, after being marshmallow gunked at the end of this movie, yep. went out and became a reporter. There's the Twinkie analogy throughout all of this. Yes. Hey, mate, this film... It is a prequel to die. I'm fucking telling you. Brilliant. I hope that's
0: true. It's gotta be. Do you know what? Which makes you think how many of them terrorists for ghosts? <laughs> all, all of them. <laughs> Everything about this film to me is brilliant. I had so much fun. I do you know what the snappy dialogue. The, it's so it's so natural. It's it's friends talking to each other. Except for there's one bit that takes a massive tonal shift. We've only met uh Ernie Hudson's character Winston for like one scene and in the next scene he's talking about allegories to God the yeah. of times, and the end times to Dan Aykroyd and he's like Dan Ayk was listening to him not going fucking mental case <laughs> <laughs> but um Everything about it, just and one of my favorite lines of all time. I have already know what Monday's, Monday's quote is going to be. is cats and dogs living together. <laughs> it's the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Well, what do you mean, biblical? What uh, he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling.
1: 40 years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria
0: that scene, it's like, Dick was over here. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This This man man has has no no dick.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. (laughs) What's also really, like, typical of this time is that Bill Moore in particular will say a joke that the other people don't know because they weren't in the scene (laughs) that that is a reference to. You know what I mean? So there is... You're talking about the ghost blowjob scene in it, which is fucking odd. But there's also... When... Sigourney Weaver's character, Dana, gets possessed by Zool. She tries it on with Bill Murray and she's like, she's like, I need you inside me and all this kind of like, you know. Yeah, because uh,
0: he's, he's the gatekeeper. He's he the last one, and says he's the gatekeeper. Yeah, but it's really <laughs> unnecessary for a PG movie. Yep. It's it's not
1: a gateway or it's not a, it's not something that's going to get us from scene A to B. It's just Sigourney Weaver's like big, you know, and, and certainly off the back of Alien and Aliens, like, she's top dollar for this for this film. Bill Murray is certainly becoming one of the the, the top comedic performers. You put him in a scene together and that scene felt really staged because it's five or six minutes in the movie as the movie is moving towards that third act. But it is still really funny. It is funny. Even though out of context, like, you know, when, when uh, Bill Murray's kind of, he's just doing that like, so there are... Phenomenons happening in front of him, levitation. You know, she's clearly possessed, and he's just still cracking jokes, and it is so
0: funny. Well, and dated when he goes into the house for the first time and like sprays it, and then he opens the fridge and goes, "Oh my god, diet coke." Yeah. He's like, is. look at the junk food. <laughs> you know what I love about this is the way it paints New York is in such a good, good light that a man would be eaten by a dog outside a restaurant whilst everyone just ignored it. I and know, then, yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> Central god. Park. Looking Rick Morales. Wait, yeah. how have we celebrated all these '80s films, and this is like the first, maybe second time we've mentioned him? Morales, yeah. As well, I mean, yeah, Morales. Yeah. I, I,
1: he. I mean, he is. He's, he's, he's a tour de force as well, isn't he? Because he's he's a very practical performer. Yeah. So the whole locking himself out of his room, which happens three times, and each time it becomes more subtle. But as an audience member, you're like, that's fucking hilarious because they're still playing that gag. <laughs> Um, but he's also very dry with his delivery of lines as well. Um yeah. oh, he's one of the characters that really screwed up in the sequel, but we're not talking about a sequel. But don't you think Yeah. Don't you think though as well though that it, it, and when you know when you watch an 80s movie because their timing is very sharp on the beat of the person who's just finished talking. It's yeah. like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like and Looking at Mank, we know we talk about that and that paying respect and being a love letter to the old way of filmmaking and the talkies or whatever. That's very much like that. It's like they're waiting for someone to finish and then they're
0: straight on it. And then do you want know I think? Do you want? Know I think that might be a change in the audiences because I think nowadays they leave a gap so that the audience has got time to laugh and not miss it. Whereas, was back in the 80s, especially this one, it's like next, next, next. Yeah. next. it's moving on. I think it works positively, and I. Because when I laugh, when I'm sat in the cinema and I'm watching a comedy and they leave a gap for a laugh and I'm not laughing, I, it makes it worse. I'm like, mm. oh, why did they think I'd laugh at that? <laughs> 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 and it makes me cringe more. So maybe they're leaving me gaps to cringe.
1: Yeah, I I think as well now it's, uh, you know, half of acting is reacting, isn't it? And maybe that's also a kind of way now of the filmmaking. But it felt very, it feels um, unnatural when you're watching this movie because they would. No one—it's a thing in movies, isn't it? No one talks over each other. No, everyone is perfectly silent, and no conversation ever. People talk on top of each other unless you're watching the Safty Brother movie. Yeah, and they're talking. talking over each other all the time. And, it, and Ghostbusters, it's like there are scenes where they're all stood in a room waiting to talk. And it's, I just love it. I love
0: old movies like this, '80s movies. I always, I always forget. Is this the one where the Titanic comes in? No, it's two. Oh fuck it! All the, all the. I love all the ghost montages. When at some point during any of the films, that all the ghosts get out, and like the, the coat turn becomes alive, or the goat. I fucking love everything. Mm. I know I've got them confused with the second one, but still, the second one is the same film.
1: So in this <laughs> one, you've got the, the beauty. So you've got the uh, the librarian to begin with, or the old lady in the library. I think the graphics hold up. Well, there are the I, I loved it about this movie is that it uses. Um, it was the first comedy given a budget for visual effects. That's cool. So it's actually groundbreaking in that. It was the first time a studio was like, you can have additional funding to do some visual effects in a comedy. And it uses practical, digital, which was in that time, artist impressions, uh, puppets and miniatures all throughout. And I love all of those mediums. I particularly like um, uh, practical effects, which this movie is laden with. I think the, the library scene at the beginning is just so much fun of, you know, drawers opening, things moving, books falling off shelves. It's, it's that magic behind the, the camera, which the first time you watch in awe of, the second time you're trying to work out how they did it, there's eggs that scramble in one scene. Um oh, that's cool. Which is cool. And and I was watching that thinking, how did they do that? You know, like Scorner Weaver obviously comes in, puts them eggs down on what I can only imagine is a super hot surface yeah. to cause them eggs to blow. I but I I also don't want to know how they do it. It's that yeah. it's that magical filmmaking now that I'm more intrigued about the practical sides. Never been a huge fan of of puppets, but that's because of movies like Labyrinth scaring the shit out of me <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, um, but you know, certainly Slimer's appearance in this movie, you know, and you, which would now be like more animatronics, I suppose, or going into the nineties would have been. I love puppets. I love when maths, you know, where these characters can only do certain like phrases. You know, they can't pronounce vowels or whatever. The miniature's obviously seven towards the end, the marshmallow man towards the end. brilliant. <laughs> I
0: just also, do you know what? And I, I'm going to go back to the writing again. The writing is so, it's so basic. It's like, I will choose the bringer of your destruction. Mm. And so, and he goes, I know what he's thinking. Everyone draw your mind blank. But then the idea, he goes, I tried to think, you know, and then he builds it up. Mm. He goes like, I tried to think of something that, you know, was pure and innocent that could never us. And then they go, and <laughs> everyone, they hear it coming and they're all going, what is it? And he goes, it's like the state of Manhattan. Marshmallow Man and it yeah. just fucking turns on. and comes like Rrr! it's like <laughs> fucking brilliant it's the absolutely Marshmallow
1: Man it's which so you see cool. once in the movie in the egg scene when um, Sigourney Weaver puts the eggs down she also puts a big bag of marshmallows down
0: and that's it so there's that there's that foreshadowing there it's I, fucking brilliant isn't it it's is brilliant and then obviously he comes up he's like don't and I love the other and this is brilliant because this is something you and I would do if we ever hunted ghosts. ghost I wouldn't tell you what would cause a nuclear reaction and kill us all until we were using it. It's like when they're first using the nuclear mm. weapons, and he's like, "Oh, don't cross the streams!" Like fucking during when you're using it for the first time. I everything about this film, and that's why I said earlier a men's film. I, I meant it kind of like it's a group of men have have made this film. Mm. There's there's the jokes are are laden like this. That's how it's. I think that's how it was. Written. Boys with toys. Can't be boys, trusted. Boys with toys, exactly. Yeah. That's a great thing. That, and that, I, I forgot that going
1: into it this week, how entertaining the hotel scene is when they go to get Slimer. Yeah. And you're seeing the guns, you know, for the first time and and they're going up in the lift and he's like, oh, you basically got like nuclear fusions on your back. And they, they're they just like, oh shit, turn yeah. me on. <laughs> like, and then... Um, yeah, I, I like that. The, the, the kind of unveiling of the science of it, you know, how they're going to capture these ghosts and they're going to like store them in these, like, say, these devices. And then bullshit science, they go back to the converted fire station and they save them in a
0: wall, in a vault. Easy in a, to do, mate. Yeah. But, They're saving him for future generations. They've got you know, the worst ones in the pit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I, I like all of that scene and the destruction of those guns just like tearing this hotel apart, particularly the uh, the ballroom when they go down there and when always, they capture him.
0: And there's that same where goes, I've always wanted to do this and he tries to, any he fucking oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Completely irrelevant
1: as well. Like that. Like I imagine that was just Murray being like, yeah. I just, just, and they just filmed him. Because then he walks into the next scene and they're all going like, oh, he's on the ceiling. And Murray goes, oh, the flowers stayed
0: up. He's like, still, <laughs> still going on about that table. Um, <laughs> all the bits where he's like, I can see him. He's all right, ugly, but he's like, you can hear you, Ray. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> fucking everything about that, mate. It was brilliant. And then and then, and then, then the scene, and I've already mentioned it, that scene with the mayor is just brilliant. Yeah. It's like, it's all health regulars. And then just the idea of cats and dogs living together, mate, I fucking, I, Cried as a kid, and I cried the other day when I was. I was like, "This is. I'm so glad this is back on."
1: And and I kind of want some of those effects to age badly. So, in particularly when Segundo Weaver opens the fridge and it shows you this other like dimension, it, yeah. it does look shoddy and godlike, and there's like the there's like the demonic dog like. Oh, they puppets. don't age well, do they, no. they don't age well. But at the same time, I'm like, it's the '80s. It's early '80s. It's
0: like, oh, he's just sad. Why? Because he's dating a dog. And then at <laughs> the end she actually just turned <laughs> into a dog, just- didn't she? Oh, it's And he goes, I'm sorry about that dog joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mate, I you know what, it was it was great fun to watch. I don't think there's actually a poor performance in this film. I think even the side characters are very good, like the annoying neighbor Rick Moranis, the um, very sassy receptionist, and they fucking brilliant. Annie Potts is brilliant in this film. Which is, I there's loved a lot her. of that
1: that doesn't make sense. Like, so this is, that scene is, is great and Some of them scenes are, are often the most enjoyable. Bill Murray coming in, any messages? No, um, you know anyone call No, just type something because I'm paying you. <laughs> type something. Well, you were paying for this stuff. Yeah, and then he leaves, and it doesn't cut. And then uh, Reitman, obviously, Igor's character comes up from under the desk. Doesn't, doesn't say why he's under there. No. And it's just I like, like, that. yeah, I it's just like, oh, there he is. You know, <laughs> it, it rather than, you know, enter enter stage left or whatever like that, whatever direction. It's just, oh, he was under the desk, was he? And Annie Potts was just talking to Bill Murray without referencing that he's under there.
0: So it was a, it was a bit, as a bit as a kid, I didn't realize that, uh, uh, Ray puts all he's like he cashes in like he sells his house so they can his buy his house yeah and then he's like oh I need some paid cash to take our customer out and he's like this Chinese represents the last of the paid cash yeah. <laughs> do you know what? as an adult I was, like, I was like oh they've even got financial problems here so I've the last few genuinely this is a genuine question the last few weeks I've been bringing like big questions like last week I asked is Arnold Schwarzenegger hampered by his action career like he never got a chance to be a great actor mm. I've got a big question this week is Ghostbusters maybe the best original idea for a comedy ever? So what I mean by, what I mean by this is, is I was watching this, and I remember thinking there's a lot of gambles that have to be taken on this. Mm. In theory, a comedy like this had never really been done, and it's probably worked the best. So it allowed a lot of people to give a chance. So I'm thinking, is Ghostbusters maybe the most successful original comedy of all time? Without being able to prep, I'm... Sorry,
1: maybe I should prep no no no. Big it's, questions. it's all right on the on the spot. So, and, so
0: I talk you my from my okay. side? I would go yes because knowing all the history about making a chance, they allowed a lot of creative freedom. They they basically trusted in their writer and their director. Mm. After some time, they obviously got the cast list in and they trusted them to make. them. Like you said, it's the first the first comedy to get uh, a budget. They allowed them to do whatever they wanted. The film holds no merit, but at the same time, has lasted for generations. There's no hidden message. There's no story. What you're essentially watching is four friends having fun. But you, as an audience member, is one of the very first times that you're actively engaged in a storyline that has no meaning, mm. really. You are along the ride. You're the fifth member of Ghostbusters. And I really like that. And I think, even as a kid, I recognised that this was different from the other comedies. And it helped give rise to a lot of chances for other, mm. for other films. So I was always like... And the other, when I was watching, I was thinking, is this the best original idea for a comedy ever? And I I think it might be. I think you're
1: right. It's it's very hard, certainly off the top of my head, to come up with anything that would challenge that theory. Oh, there's probably,
0: when there's releases, mate, something will definitely buy Yeah, Yeah.
1: But, well, that's what Twitter's for.
0: Yeah, thank you, internet.
1: But (laughs) I think, I think you're right. Certainly something I was in awe of with Ghostbusters was thinking, this is incredibly, um, lack filmmaking in the sense that it just felt like anything goes do yeah. it. Yeah. Just do it, you know, do that. But so much so that then you start to question or notice things in scene. So I noticed the marshmallows on the countertop when the eggs and I was, and I was like, that's a weird thing to go shopping for eggs and marshmallows. I oh, see. I didn't even
0: notice that. Thus, adding credence to my, to my opinion, but, uh, my view.
1: But, so that's what I mean. Is it, is it that it is, it was just so nonchalant that all this stuff just happened or is it, Actually, it was very well thought. Like, There were scenes, for example, the Chinese scene that you're talking about. I remember noting two of them were drinking beers and one's drinking a, 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 a Coke, a Diet Coke at the time. And thinking, again, just, I was questioning that. I was like, you know, I wonder why Harold Ramus's character isn't, in Igor, isn't drinking. Is it because he's the headstead one? And is it because the other two are too lax? You know, just about every opportunity, Dan Aykroyd is smoking, which is, again, something that wouldn't then happen because obviously when films became more kind of, um, aware. It's aware. Aware, yeah. The, the, you know, and the kids were watching. That's less so. But it seems like any opportunity, Dan Acker already smoking. And there's a part of <laughs> me really that thinks, I wonder if Dan Acker was like, I'm just going to see how many times I can get a fag in this movie. <laughs> and so it, is, it is one of them films, isn't it, that makes you start to question, was it just incredibly relaxed and laissez-faire? Or was it actually that a lot of this was fought out and it was like designed and that's what we were supposed to see? And I think in answering your question, it probably is certainly one. of The other thing, comedy is, and comedy evolves... Because it has to, it has to evolve to address
0: what is oh the God, norm yeah. at that time. Yeah, so so some of the jokes won't be funny in 20 years. Yeah, and certainly... And the 2016 remake will never be funny, so... I'm staying
1: well away from any discussion about the 2016 film within this conversation. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife, though, is coming out, uh, hopefully at some point. There you go, so but, carry on. <laughs> But the '90s, for example, will not be kind to the comedies when we look back, particularly yeah. the uh, *America Pie*. It's, there's only a matter of days before some internet savvy person starts to petition to cancel, you know, Jason Biggs and *America Pie* or whatever, Tom, Tom Green and *Road Trip* and all these kind of films that I came out at that time. That- <laughs> Love. I was trying to remember Road Trip. Now I remember the film that they go on a road trip. It's just, it's because he has a sex tape that he sent by accident to his girlfriend. Yes. And as an audience member, you're supposed to be on his side to prevent him from getting that sex tape. Yeah, to Yes. His...
0: Because the guy who sent the the, se- the guy who sent the sex tape is supposed to, is like a stalker. It is the only way they could make him. But even either way she
1: on his girlfriend. Yeah,
0: it's weird oh God, yeah. That, he, that, that morally that what I, I, that, Tom Green what, what, spends I'm... the entire film just being an asshole until you know? he's
1: revealed that his real name and it's Barry Manilow. I remember that joke.
0: Was that a joke? Yeah. Mate, they were fucking scratching in the nights weren't they? Freddy Got Fingered. Yeah, there's a lot of them kind of movies that Mate, were that Freddie that Got time. Fingered is actually a perfect film in uh, non-comedy. I reckon that film is purposely bad. <laughs> I, I, I reckon it's a genius film. I reckon there's so many layers to Freddie Got Fingered that
1: it's supposed to not be funny. Well, they, that, they, Again, gone on, on the Tom Green thing, they reckon that that, because it came out at the same time as Charlie's Angels, didn't it? And like he, that, his he movie, because he was married to Jude Barrymore, yeah. and, and his movie like flunked, and Charlie's Angels was a big commercial success. And you're like, yeah, but it's because she was in a movie. Because Freddy got Katie. <laughs> <You Yep. know? laughs> <laughs> of course, that was the way that was gonna go. Um, digressing, but nineties nineties is- movie uh, films, I don't think are gonna the comedy ones in particular are gonna age particularly well. But then when you start to break down comedy movies, there's like rat packs in comedy. You have the Adam Sandler crowd mm-hmm. and the people that share that universe with Adam Sandler. You have the Ben Stiller crowd, which I think is a bit more. Um, I, I I suppose it kind of advanced from what Sandler was doing a little bit. And then you have the Seth Rogen crowd that then came in, the Judge Apto kind of crowd yeah. that kind of came in. And through all of that out the window of what was, you know, Exceptful, considered as yeah. PC or whatever, um, you know, and then because when you said about an original comedy, the first one I went to was something like, this is the end, you know, as being a film that I thought was utterly hilarious. Uh, I laughed so hard at the cinema, but a lot of that is should I be laughing at this movie? (laughs) I don't know. You know, um, it's weird, isn't it? Comedy is a particularly hard on All genres evolve, you know, horror in particular, comedy, but comedy is the one that I don't think time is kind
0: to. Yeah. So it's a matter of 30 years later though. How do I put this? I was rewatching Ghostbusters and I was thinking it might actually be my favorite comedy of all time. And I think on my list from episode one, I've got the Big Lebowski. And I was thinking I might shuffle the Big Lebowski into my all time favorite and make Ghostbusters my favorite comedy. Because, I don't know. Do you know what? I had so much fun watching it, but it's been a it's been about six years since I watched it. Yeah, I it think it was so good though.
1: I really enjoyed it. I think my comedy though is always gonna be see no evil, hear no evil. I still I still then un- again, that's, done
0: that. Then again, to me to me, that seems like they had a lot of freedom because there was a lot of trust in uh, those two in See No Evil, Hear No Evil. You know, we stir crazy and things like that. So they would just probably again, original idea, but it's like you obviously know So the biggest problem that we'll have in movies now forever mm. is like and a perfect example is the Schneider cut is people who are out of touch with audiences think they know what you want. So they like, oh, Marvel had success with this, so let's do this. So they'll change someone's vision for a film because they think it's what audiences want. Because they're so out of touch, they don't realise that the reason people gravitas towards Zack Schneider's opinion was because it was different from Marvel. Mm. Comedy can only be funny. Comedy can't be written in a in a business office with people who are out of touch. It has to be people who grew up on the on a certain circuit knowing what's funny. And that's why that's how comedy evolved. And I think like, um a We've and Ghostbusters, and you know, those 80s films that are hilarious, are products of giving writers, and giving actors the opportunity to do what they think is funny, and it resonating with an audience. Mm. And I think Ghostbusters, I had so much fun rewatching it this week. Sort of though Cry Kid. I remember, when, I, when I saw Cry Kid after a long time, I was like, I fucking love this film, and I know exactly why. And Ghostbusters was exactly that. I knew what was coming, because I've seen it to death, and it was brilliant. I loved every minute of it. Even even the part even the parts like crap. Like if you look at it like logically, the end fight scene is rubbish. Oh yeah. (laughs) All they do is stand there and get their shit kicked out of them and then they do one thing. But you know what? I enjoyed it. Mm. I
1: enjoyed it so much. And And, and underpinning any great eighties film is a kick ass
0: soundtrack. And this is they were gonna say Ron Jeremy. (laughs) 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 Just right at the end, isn't he? He's in the crowd. Oh is he? Yeah, Ron Jeremy's right in the crowd at Ghostbusters, I'm sure he is. He's just in the crowd at the end. He's just I, know,
1: like, I know it's the, uh, the priests there condemning the building at the end
0: oh no no! what happens is when they come out you know when the credits rolling and mm. everyone's like cheering to the crowd Ron Jeremy's there he's just in the <laughs> crowd that happens I swear to God I um I, underpinning it is, is, is always a,
1: a great soundtrack in this one particularly it's Ray Parker Jr. isn't it with the, with the title track my favourite song
0: instantly re- recognisable isn't it that theme music video just like all these stars just who you gonna call mm. fucking Danny DeVito saying Ghostbusters mate one of my favourite memories ever Ronda Perlman, who I think he was married to at the time. Ghostbusters, all these people from Cheers. I fucking loved it. I'm mm. want to. i going to watch the music video. Did it win? An- it was nominated for Oscar for that, wasn't it? Because this
1: was nominated for two Oscars. I think mean, it was Visual Effects and, um, yeah, the song,
0: the original song. Brilliant. Who are you going to call? Also, ruined ruin that sentence for everyone. Like, mm. you'll never not be able to say, who are you going to call? No, actually, he said, if you, who are you going to call? You might go, sure. <laughs> who are you going to call, though? In, yeah, it's
1: the quotable. It's it's now pop culture, isn't it? Everything down to the logo, the staple of marshmallow man towards the end of the movie. It's a, a you know, it's even referenced in movies in TV shows like Stranger Things, you know, when they get Halloween. Yeah, you know, it's them. just it's brilliant. Um if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, it is now on Netflix. I do highly recommend going back because it's just nonsense fun. It is there's nothing to it. It's not trying to be anything other than entertaining for its two hour runtime. hour forty five.
0: And it's a great watch, and I think it holds up very well. And I want to vote it. Vote it. it. Two vote. Two vote movies, movie movies
1: this week: Ghostbusters and
0: Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, next week, do you have a theme? No, I, I've got some ideas percolating, but not enough to flesh out just now. So I've
1: got, I've got an idea. Oh yeah. Number one would be choosing to go to land, sea, or air to look for the greatest movies of all time. So we could pick one of those. So movie set C, movie set in the air, which I suppose is anything above jumping distance.
0: <laughs> when the, the greatest, start? <laughs> the greatest nautical film of all time does sound like a great, great episode. I reckon we'll get a lot of fishermen. It <laughs> was like Ooh, nautical oh nautical. I think
1: we're going to probably have a lot of laughs with that, you know. Mm. Um, or, or like I said, the desert would be the other one.
0: Let's get let's get out of our comfort zone, mate. Let's 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 go to the air completely opposite to that was the Rocky franchise <laughs> mate I am talk about Rocky franchise if you want to do Rocky right, I'll do everything mate you don't even have to be here I'll just if you want a week off mate I'll do Rocky franchise on my own and I'll fucking love it mate you can't you can't say that and take it away from me what, which one do you want to do Rocky, Rocky, Rocky mate, I Rocky don't even have to watch the Rocky films mate I know them all off my heart you do I why, might, but, it's always, but gonna, it's always good to go back and I'm and re-watch quote it. so much shit oh are we only doing the original 5
1: no the uh, 6 we'll do Rocky Balboa
0: as well as a bonus alright okay in Rocky next week. All right. Uh, mainly around the first one. Okay, you can do the first one. I'll do the other
1: four, 5 Five, six. I'll do more. Fuck it. <laughs> well, that's our show for this week. Uh, thank you for downloading, as always. If you've enjoyed this episode, go back. We've got, like I say, 138 other shows, plus some bonus ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And if you like it, do leave us a review. It does help. Uh, It takes two minutes. Any of the streaming sites, particularly things like iTunes, it'd be great if you could leave us a review. That'd be fantastic. And if you are on social media, do let us know. Um, Reach out to us if you want to be on a show. If you have a USB microphone and a laptop, we can get you on a show. Um, Obviously, when COVID lifts, we can do more face-to-face stuff. Yeah, we can. But for the time being there, we do have the means. So if you want to be on a show, do let us know. Uh, This has been our podcast for this week. see you later. Good afternoon, good evening, good night.
0: Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Back off man, I'm a scientist.